Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Max Rafaga, co-founder and CEO of Finimize, a finance media brand for millennial investors. They have over 1 million subscribers globally, and they're on a mission to increase the net worth of a generation through bite-sized informative content and community. And in this episode, we go through why Max decided to start this company and how he's gone about building Finimize to the huge audience it has today. All these details and much, much more in the episode. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Max Rafaga, co-founder and CEO of Finimize. Max, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and a lot to talk about with with Finimize and all you've been through with this journey. But for people who aren't familiar, what is this company? What are you doing? So with Finimize, we're building the world's largest and most engaged finance community where we give our members access to best-in-class analysts and let them attend meetups all over the world so that they can get the knowledge and support to achieve their dreams. With this company, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of different areas to dive into. Going back to the beginning, though, how did this get started? So it's been a very personal journey and a very personal experience because uh, I'm basically building this company for myself in a very (laughs) selfish manner. Um, So what happened was that I uh, was in my mid to late 20s. I had previously built an e-commerce business and... um, uh, you know, had, 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 had some economics background. I studied economics, but, you know, wasn't a finance person and everybody, you know, in the media and parents and like, everybody just felt like when you're in your mid to late twenties, feels like, Hey, you know, as you're approaching 30, you need to start saving up some money. And I took that to heart and every month took money from my salary and put that onto a savings account. And I did this for multiple months. And one day I woke up and picked up my phone, looked at my savings account and realized, fantastic news, I've built up savings. And the immediate follow-up question was, cool, so what do I do with these savings now? And the natural first step for me was I went to go see a financial advisor, which was a very pleasant experience. I walked through the door though, uh, and they had laid out all the brochures already onto the table. Um, And as nice as they were, I pretty quickly realized that this was going to be a sales pitch for their own products rather than them genuinely wanting to help me. And I knew pretty quickly, okay, this isn't the solution they're looking for. And I went back home and I started to inform and educate myself as much as I could on personal finance and more specifically also investing and found it really, really convoluted and really, really difficult to wrap my head around. And I was in a fortunate position that I could, in the evenings, then meet up with friends of mine. A lot of them were working in the finance uh, industry, and I would bombard them with all the questions that I had. And at the same time, I kept bumping into people who were in the same boat as I was in the sense that they were lacking the, the finance knowledge to take smart actions with their savings. Uh, but what they didn't have is they didn't have that community around them of people who could help and empower them to make the right investment decisions. And that was the genesis moment for Finimize, really, where I started to dive deeper into this whole space and into this whole problem set. And 
and really came up with one very powerful insight. So the insight was 86% of people in this millennial age bracket, which I'm a part of, save each month, but they keep more than half of their savings in cash as I was doing, because as I experienced myself, there isn't a suitable way to get financial guidance and advice. And when you look a little bit deeper, you understand why this is the case. So of the people who have savings and who want to take action, 75%, so three quarters say they lack the knowledge to do so. And the remaining 25% say when they do take action, they consult their friends in the media before they do so. And so it's been really with that insight that we've been building Finimize to give our users and our members all the information and, and, and the knowledge and experience sharing that you need in order to make smarter investment decisions. From that insight as well then, Max, how did you get the first people to sign up for this? So I, so, so our mission, uh, maybe if I, if I take a step back, our mission that we set out was we want to empower people to become their own financial advisors by giving them all the information and the tools uh, to doing so. And I started with a very simple product, which was like, okay, I want to just help explain to myself, but also to people like myself, what is even going on in the world of finance? And so the first product that we that we that we launched was a daily news product, and it was the two most important stories of the day, and always answering three questions. So what's going on here? What does this mean? And why should I care? And the, and the why should I care is the really crucial part, which we can dive into. But that really is explaining, you know, if in, if inflation goes up or interest rates go up or down, it's great if you understand what's actually happening, but Oftentimes you still ask yourself, "Cool, so why do I care?" <laughs> um, and so that was the that was the initial product. And so what I did is I uh, created a, a very simple WordPress page myself, and I heard the very awkward silence or the the sound <laughs> of crickets because nobody yeah. was going onto my website. <laughs> and so what I did is I was like, "All right, I'm just going to email everybody who I have in my." address book on gmail or like who i know on linkedin and i just emailed everybody being like check out this new project that i'm working on and then i gave them the link and what i what i when i started to track these emails a bit i realized people were opening the emails but they weren't going onto the website and so that then gave birth to the newsletter because i started putting everything from the website into an email and so the very first people who who were our users were really friends and family. Um, and then what happened was I would do very manual tasks to, to get to a couple thousand users. Like I would reach out to blogs. They would write about us. I would um, toured like all the major universities and colleges um, to sign people up in front of the library or in front of like the their dorm rooms. Um, and that really got us to, I would say like the first couple thousand, maybe 10,000 users. It's funny you mentioned that because I had on Austin reef from the morning brew, uh, probably it was last year, early last year and very similar in terms of starting just in terms of going through talking to students in person and talking to people in person and getting everyone you can to sign up for this type of thing. And it's often the whole idea of doing things that don't scale. 
at the beginning, exactly. especially to get that kind of initial burst of, of people. And then, and from there, like how did the, the product itself evolve? Because obviously now today it's an app, but in the early days, it's a, it's a newsletter, 2016 roughly. Uh, at what point did that kind of evolve from a newsletter to more in terms of uh, beyond that? Yeah, so for us from day one, it was clear that we were like the newsletter was a, was a starting point and a jumping board for us. Um, and so we started with the newsletter uh, that then gave birth to the community very organically. So what happened was uh, one day we, we said, wouldn't it be cool to actually meet the people who read our content every day? And so mm-hmm. we, we invited them to a pub in East London. And we were really surprised because something like 50 people showed up and we basically like Finimize took over the pub, <laughs> which was, which was crazy. <laughs> and so we were like, okay, this seems to be a thing where people are willing to come out. So let's do more of this. And so we started hosting more and more um, like meetups basically. And we would have like a hundred people show up, then like 200, then 300, then like 400 people. And so these things got really big. And, and we would write about it in the newsletter and we'd be like, hey, you know, this was super awesome. Like, thanks everybody for coming. And people would write us from like L.A. and like Sydney and like literally all over the world being like, hey, this sounds so cool. Like, I wish I could come to this. Can you host one in my city? And we started getting a lot of these requests. And we basically then said we would love to do this because how cool would it be to just fly around the world and host meetups? I mean, that would be yeah. sick. But <laughs> you know, unfortunately it's not realistic. And so one day we, after, after thinking about it, we said like, why don't you host the meetup on behalf of Finimize? Um, and we will tell you everything that you need to know. And we developed a playbook and we then started getting a bunch of applications. So like each quarter we get a couple thousand applications of people who want to host a meetup. And that's been like really, really cool to see because like last year we connected something like 10,000 people uh, at our physical meetups. Uh, and, and there was a meetup pretty much happening every single day of the week from uh, literally all over the world. Uh, and and it's, it's these community hosts, they do this completely on a voluntary basis because they fundamentally believe in what we're doing and believe in the mission. Uh, this year, we obviously went fully virtual. Uh, we connected more than 30,000 people. Um, and so I, I digress a little bit here, but, but that's then what gave birth to the, to the community. Um, out of the newsletter, and then we and then we 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 launched our app. Uh, we launched this uh, um, sort of mid last year, uh, and this again, we we basically just listened to the pull uh, from our user base, where people would say like, "Hey, awesome that you guys have this newsletter. It's like a three minute read every single day. Um, I want more." And so we we launched this this uh, we launched our premium subscription or premium membership, um, and that then is primarily revolves around our mobile app, although that's also going to be more and more on web. Um, and so with, with the mobile app, you get access to our full content library. Um, so there we have three main products. One is the audio version of our daily brief. Uh, we have our analyst insights. So the people who produce our content are all ex-analysts from uh, major Wall Street banks. Or financial institutions and so with the brief they tell you what's been happening in the world and with the analyst insights they actually share their own views of interesting investment opportunities or investment trends and then the third piece is uh, our uh, audio and text 
guides. So we will dive into like how to how to structure your portfolio. Uh, let's take a look at like how Bill Ackman or Warren Buffett structure theirs. Um, how to think about investing into sustainable uh, investment vehicles. Uh, so these are long, slightly longer form uh, between like 15 to 20 minute um, audio and text guides. And then you also get access to uh, our premium community. And so that's a, a very, very uh, special part of the of the offering that we that we see people get most value out of because we basically let premium members chat with each other in these premium chat groups that we've set up um, where people can share their experiences, can discuss uh, content pieces, news, but also can recommend interesting opportunities or recommend platforms that they use to each other. Uh, so that's in a, in a nutshell um, today what we what we offer. It's it's a multi-channel um, approach that we're taking with also multi-revenue stream. Um, but at the heart of what we do, it's it's two things. It's content and community. Uh, and, and those have a very, very strong interplay, which we can dive into uh, at a later point as well. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot to dive into with with that in terms of those two kind of major buckets. But going back to the thing you just mentioned around kind of your business model, take me the take me through the progression of that though, because you know people who are listening, if they're early stage or even as they're building their companies, there's so many different things you could build, right? And mm -hmm. obviously, typically it's from listening to users. But how do you prioritize, and how have you prioritized? I guess the things that you're going to build out with this when you, you've you've grown your your user base, obviously through community and through content. But how have you prioritized which revenue streams you're going to build out? That's a good question. Um, I I think uh, so. So we have a very very strong culture of experimentation, um, and as a result, we we just like the way we kind of think about it is like when we, when we build product, but also when we, when we do revenue, when we build revenue streams is like, what's the fastest way that we can get a signal, whether the market wants this. Um, and, uh, as, a, and I think on a whole, I would say this is like a really, really, uh, effective way of building a business. I, I think the one downside to this is that, that sometimes there is a risk of you optimizing for a local, maximum rather than absolute mm. maximum but again we can talk about that in a bit more detail but, but 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 like on a high level like that's how we approach things so we try to have a thesis and then we try to have an experiment and then we try to like track the results um and then we see see how it goes so for, so this is for example how we how we went about with a subscription so um so when we launched a subscription we had a fake paywall uh and and we so we, we basically released an app um and we were just uh, we, we had some content in there, and then we basically had a paywall that that uh, that looked like a real real paywall, and then we were just uh, tracking how many people are actually clicking continue on the paywall, and then it wouldn't lead you anywhere. I think it was then something came up like coming soon or or, or something <laughs> like I, I forget exactly what it was, and we would just like track like okay, so is this something where you know in a real real life uh, experiment they they would they would take out a subscription and that. You know that was one way how we how we went about it. From a more strategic point of view, we the way we thought about this was, you know, we want to really align ourselves with our users from the business model point of view. Um, and uh, as a result, we felt like subscription is the right one because, you know, at the end of the day, one of the key value propositions that we have is that we're unbiased in the financial content that we put out there, and I think that's quite rare in this space. So everybody's typically is trying trying to sell you their 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 uh, equity product or ETF or their here set up an account with me or whatever. Like, 
we wanted to make sure that we have zero incentive to push you in a certain direction. And so that's that was the underlying thesis. And then we we, we ran these experiments uh, around it to to, to verify uh, to verify this. Um, and then I think the so we have two other revenue streams. Um, we have native advertising in our free product, the newsletter, uh, and we very recently also uh, launched a, an API business. And both of those um, were perhaps a little bit less experimental uh, because we just started getting a lot of pull from the market. So people, uh, which I guess is, is pretty 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 straightforward. You know, we, we have a large audience. We have a, a relevant audience specifically from financial providers. And so they they said, hey, we would love to advertise in front of your audience. And so so, you know, they, they, that was a pretty straightforward process of implementing that. Um, I think on the API side, so what we started seeing is um, a lot of investment platforms, brokers, asset managers, uh, and newer fintechs started approaching us and saying, like, hey, we have oftentimes we have really large user bases, but they're not super active, and we want to invest into content to activate these users, but we're not very good at doing content. So can we get your content? And so, <laughs> and so we thought mm, that's kind of interesting. And we started getting more and more requests to that. Uh, and we then said, Hey, actually, why don't we take some of our content and let others fetch that content via an API and integrate that into their own consumer products. And, uh, that then gave life to to the third uh, revenue stream for us, which is this API business. Um, so, th so again, that was very much like a pull from the market that we then thought, okay, maybe we want to we want to lean in here. I appreciate you sharing the perspective on those different areas because it's so fascinating to think of the business models and once you have an audience as well, the different ways you can go about it. Whether it is you know part of that being the ad model you mentioned, but then also having subscription now with API, it's, it's pretty interesting to see that. One thing I want to go back to though, because all you've built this is off of content. I mean, how do you think about content for Findomize in terms of how you, again, look at what you want to include in that newsletter even? So we have a very, very specific view of what what kind of content Findomize pr should produce. And uh, we actually just recently uh, sort of ran through, the, ran through this process uh, internally of, of like just really nailing like, what's the value prop that we want to offer in terms of content? What are, what are the USPs, et cetera? And I think at the heart of every piece of content that we try to produce, and I by no means will say that we succeed every time, but we try very hard, is we want to deliver insights. And so what we mean by insights is we, we, do, not want to, uh, we do not want to produce content that is breaking news or that is summaries of things. Uh, there's a lot of great platforms out there for that. Well, we want to really deliver our insights for our users. And so what I mean by that is um, specifically around finance um, to really explain this question that I referenced uh, or that I referred to earlier on, why should you care, for example, right? So um, if, uh, if, if one of our um, analysts, for example, identifies, or this is a, an example that came up a couple of weeks ago, is like, Oh, actually, what's super interesting here is um, everybody's talking about electric vehicles, but if you look at the data, it looks like uh, the power power uh, battery storage is actually 
a much larger market opportunity here that nobody's really talking about. And that's that presents a really interesting investment opportunity. And so that's an insight from someone who's worked in the industry. This person who found this, for example, was uh, previously an equity research analyst who focused primarily on the utility space. And so we hire these analysts uh, and analysts are, are content creators. We, we, we typically don't hire, for example, journalists, which you might think is the is the classic um, is the classic financial content creator. We hire analysts because we need them to be able to produce those insights that they can then share with our audience. And so it's all about insights. And then sort of around that, we, we say, okay, it needs to be conversational um, because there shouldn't be any kind of jargon and you need to be ex able to explain everything in a very simple and conversational style. It needs to be bite-sized because the people that we're addressing here aren't um, they don't have that much time slash they don't want to spend that much time on finance every single day. So you only have a certain certain time window here uh, and it needs to be smart and it needs to be unbiased. And the, the, the final piece for us is um, we're very community informed. So there's a very, very strong link between our content team and our community team, because a lot of the things that our content team then dives into, we know is interesting because our community has requested uh, that they dive into that. Yeah, and I want to go more in depth on the community side in a second, but just you mentioned there's a process you're going through recently of for the content. Take me through some of uh, some of that in terms of what aspects were you talking about or how you went about deciding on the content side of it. Yeah, so I think um, I think part. So if I come back to to the experimentation culture, I think um, one of the so I think there's a there's there's a million upsides to, to, to having this experimentation approach to things, uh, which I think everybody can kind of like vaguely appreciate. I think some of the the downsides to this one, one I already mentioned, but another one is um, if you run a lot of experiments, uh, you run the risk of uh, defocusing or of diluting your 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 offering because what what might happen is that you might be running a bunch of Little, little experiments that then if they work, you do more of it and you double down on it, but you might end up with a bit of a patchwork. Um, and uh, and that's then a weak overall uh, value proposition. And so what we try to force ourselves to do because we do this experimentation framework is we want to take the time to then also step back and just look at, okay, is what we're doing actually the right thing right now uh, or are there things that we need to cut out and in order to have a compass for guiding you in that process of cutting things out you need to have a really really clear understanding of what's your value proposition and and what's that brand promise that you're delivering to your end consumer and so so we we ran this process last quarter uh where we basically just like did a lot of user research and really tried to understand like who is this core customer for us. And we identified the core customer for us is a casual investor. So someone who has a little bit of time, like I said, has, has investments, wants to be a bit more active than just investing into passive funds or into a, a robo-advisor, but is not a day trader uh, or is not also a professional trader. And so we, we, that took us a lot of like, research speaking to our users to really identify that and then we you know we have a full uh you know a, a full document that, that then like specifies what does this actually mean um and then we looked at okay so you know for this customer 
what, what is it that they actually want? And, and, and we, we kind of approached from two sides. On the one side, we looked at, okay, so what, what do we think we offer versus other offerings out there? And we asked our users, what, why do you use us versus other offerings out there? Uh, and then we quickly identified, okay, so here there is a really strong overlap. Let's really double down on the areas where we think we can add value and where, where our users think that we add value. And, uh, and that then really helps, uh, helps, helps focus you as an, as an organization. Yeah. And going into the community side, first for context, how big is the Finimize community today? Uh, we're around a million uh, members. So a million members, how do you look at growing the community, you know, building this community, what you want, again, you back, you mentioned kind of the value prop on the newsletter side, which again, ties into everything I'm sure, but how do you look at community today, especially because it is so important and it's being talked about a lot more with startups now, how do you look at community and building community at Finimize? I, I, so first of all, I, I, I want to clarify the way that we define community, because as you say, there's a lot of talk around community and I think oftentimes I don't necessarily agree with the definition. So when companies say we have a community just because they have user race or just because they have a Facebook following, <laughs> um, that is not a community in my in my definition. A community, like the, we, for example, we wouldn't say our community is, is someone who downloaded our app. Like that, then you're not necessarily a part of the community then. I think the community really comes into play when you, people start interacting with each other and start creating value for each other without us necessarily uh, interfering there. Um, and so how this happens for us is primarily today um, through the meetups that, we, that these community hosts organize. Um, and so the way that we think about this is like, there's always this like spectrum of, you can just completely open it up um, and kind of like do this like Reddit approach or there's a bunch of other like meetup.com uh, where there's very, very little curation. Um, and in, in our space, I think that's that'd be risky because then you basically are leaving the door open to invite uh, scam artists or something like that, you know, yeah. in, in finance. Unfortunately, you have a lot of those. Or you can like go on the other side and you can be really, really controlled and like you basically organize everything, which then becomes hard to build a community. And so we kind of see ourselves in, in the middle where um, we put a lot of emphasis on and, and, and a lot of effort into identifying who can be a community host with us. And then we invest very heavily into that relationship. Um, so, you know, we have uh, most of the most of the hosts uh, are repeat hosts. So they they host multiple meetups. And that's, I think, is because a we've like ha we've had that process where they self-select uh, into doing this, and b we try to involve them as, as as heavily as we can in you know product development, but also in our community strategy. And then you get that buy-in from people, and they are motivated to to help spread spread the message and to help you know uh, host more meetups. Um, and so so for us, the, the real value there that we that we that we know that happens is that members can learn from each other. So I was saying earlier on, you know, I think in this in this uh, finance space, oftentimes when people try to help you, they have a hidden agenda. And with this community play, there isn't a hidden agenda. There's genuinely people are just trying to help each other out so that you don't make the same mistake that they did. Um, and that's where the real value lies for us. And there's a lot of things that we are sort of exploring and, and how we can empower that um, to be 
how, how we can power that sort of member interaction to be even more uh, efficient and to scale that even more, et cetera. But, but currently like the, the meetups are the, are the heart and soul of our community. And to the point with the meetups, then COVID hit in 2020, this will probably go out in 2021, but how did that impact then what you did at Finimize? I mean, like I said, we, we used to host all of these meetups physically, which we put a lot of emphasis on because that physical connection is really valuable in building trust. And, and so we were always a little bit hesitant of just having like virtual hangouts because then you don't have that like face-to-face trust element. But to our surprise, um, you know, we were forced to go virtual uh, when uh, I think in March or whenever it was like we, we didn't have another another option on the table. Like it was either we, we stopped doing what we're doing or we go virtual. And in hindsight, actually, it was super smooth. Like there was a very, very pretty much no disruption in going virtual. Um, and it's been really cool because it actually opened up our eyes to so many new opportunities. So I'll give you one example. We, Because we used to organize these meetups um, in physical locations, that then limited the exchange that could happen because if you're not if you're not based in Australia, then you couldn't attend that meetup in Australia, but perhaps you were interested in that topic that they were discussing. And now, you know, there are still time zone limitations, but now we're really sort of flipping the model around and we're saying, okay, we're not really going to be focused that much on locations. We're going to be much more focused around topics and um, and and recruit community hosts around topics rather than around uh, locations. Um, and the second thing that's that then has happened is, uh, like I said, we've more than 3x um, the amount of people who we've been able to connect through these meetups because of this uh, virtual um, this virtual transition. So it's actually overall been a really cool experience to to see how uh, resilient and also agile our community has been. Um, so what 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 started off as a as a as a sort of unpleasant uh, experience, obviously. Uh, turned out to be a really, really interesting uh, uh, opportunity to further build out our community. And and with that too, then Max, how do you see this moving forward? Once we kind of get more people vaccinated out of this pandemic situation, how do you think the mix will be at that point? That's a really good question, and and I'll be honest, I don't have a I don't have a clear answer yet. I, th- I think that's one of those things that we're still trying to like wrap our head, heads around. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I mean, my hunch is it's going to be it's going to be a hybrid model, um, but but I think that's kind of like everybody's hunch. Also, like there's similar conversations, obviously, around like will people go to the office again or do people want to have a hybrid model? I think there's a similar question around um, events and meetups in general, not just with us, right? Like there's this hype now of uh, virtual conferences and stuff like that, um, which I think definitely has a lot of uh, benefits as we've experienced ourselves, but again, you lose that personal touch. And I think one of the, one of the very concrete examples that I, I think is that you know when you go to an event, for example, and let's say there's a guest speaker, it's you, you go for the guest speaker and because you le- want to learn from an expert. But a lot of the magic happens before and after. You know, waiting, then you start t- uh, 
you start chatting with people while you're yep. waiting. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's where a lot of the magic happens. And it's just an awkward experience to do this online. I have, I, I mean, there's a lot of platforms that, that now offer this and I've been to a couple of these conferences virtually. I just, it's always been awkward. And it's yeah. like always one of those things where people just like mute themselves and like zone out. And, uh, and I think that's a really good use case for having physical uh, conferences up. So what I could see is like the larger events you go, you go physical and perhaps the smaller events you do, you do, you do virtual. But again, like this is one of the things that we're just trying to figure out ourselves as well. Yeah. It seems like there'll be, well, there's definitely going to be some type of mix. And I will say like, even to your point of kind of meeting people in person, when we had those events, I mean, I went to summit in 20, I guess it would be 2019. And yeah, like the in-between time between talks, you run into people and you chat with people. That was everything. I mean, I actually found a podcast, exactly. podcast guests through that. I mean, like uh, so many things happened through that kind of magic in that time. I think what we might see is there will still be virtual events for these more niche things that can be scaled out mm -hmm. on different topics that may be you know, shorter and may not have to be this, this whole like half day event thing, uh, which you've seen with some of these summits going on now, which I get why they're doing it. They're trying to replace the in-person event, but you may see mm -hmm. just like, Hey, here's a half hour talk on a very specific topic with someone who you probably wouldn't have access to otherwise. Like, I can see that still being a thing. Um, but people mm -hmm. crave that in-person <laughs> attention for sure. So yeah, especially going. after social isolation for a year yeah. <laughs> yeah. people definitely have that craving yeah exactly and and one of the things too i know you mentioned that you had a playbook for kind of the in-person events that you had you know people could kind of volunteer host this how do you think about the playbook for that with the virtual events like what does that consist of or what are some aspects of that playbook for people who want to host events for finomize i think the playbook hasn't dramatically changed uh, from going virtual. I think it's uh, at, at its core, it's still the same thing. Um, in the playbook, we, we, we define sort of what is, what is, what is a successful meetup look like? Um, because obviously uh, we want to ensure that the host has, a, has an experience of success uh, because otherwise they're not going to do it again. Um, and so we are able to share all the learnings with the host uh, and they are then uh, able to implement that. Um, you know, we, we, we suggest a format, we suggest the length, we suggest like uh, we, we have like a topic uh, um, library, but you know, a lot of these, a lot of the, the charm and appeal of having local meetups is that the hosts will come up with the topics because they have a really good understanding of what their uh, local communities interested in. Yeah. Um, so there's like this whole, this whole playbook and, 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 uh, our community team can explain this in much more detail than I can, uh, because it's developed so much, uh, since we, since we started it. Um, but ultimately it's all about empowering the host, uh, to have a successful experience. And that, that is a, is a function of, uh, the meetup attendees and participants of having a successful experience. Um, and then we'll, the, pretty much the only thing that we do is uh, we tell our audience, our community about this meetup. Uh, the vast majority of the work is done by the hosts. And, and I'll give you one example. So we have a very active community, for example, in India. And we have a host there who, on his own initiative, uh, recruited three other hosts and then they went on a roadshow throughout India to host meetups in three 
or four different cities in India. And this, <laughs> this was uh, pre-COVID last year. I mean, that's we never said you should do this. He, <laughs> he completely did this on his own initiative. And that's the there's so many cool things that happen, right? Like we have another host who's who I think he hosted the most most amount of uh, meetups uh, based out of Hong Kong. And like he sent us the photos and it was like, it was almost like this is like a rock show. Like <laughs> people were standing outside of the venue and watching through the through the window because the, the, the venue was packed. There wasn't enough space to get more people in. Um, and so these are the kind of stories that we that we then hear from 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 the from the ground up. Uh, but also the kind of success experience, where, you know, if you're hosting a meetup where like people are like watching through the window because it's like that popular, yeah. that's a really cool experience. Right. And so you probably want to want to do it again. Yeah. That's so interesting to hear that and how people have, have really taken this on, especially if it's, you know, it's a volunteer host, they want to have these events to help people out in in different ways. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by this this model because I've seen I've been to Startup Grind, for instance, and they have they have the mm-hmm. I went to the Global Conference in 2019 as well, and they have you know chapters all over the world and people kind of chaperoning this champion being champions for the the brand and hosting different meetups. You always kind of wonder mm-hmm. the incentives around that and why people do it, um, but it's pretty mm-hmm. fascinating. And one thing I want to go back to though that we had talked about. So you talked about getting kind of the initial users on with you know, your network immediately. And then some of the things you did early on, but how have you fueled the, the growth of Finimize to get to a, you know, a million, you know, people in the community today, what's fueled that growth? So, um, up and up until very recently, we didn't spend a dime on marketing. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why we started doing that now, um, in a second, but we, the way that we've grown it has been, um, like I said, in the early days, very non-scalable things. Then we launched our referral program. Uh, that's been a really nice uh, sort of consistent boost for us. Um, so we developed a bunch of different perks that you would get and benefits that you would get uh, if you started referring friends. Um, we had a lot of word of mouth um, and we also started doing partnerships um, by having cross promotions. Um, so for example, we worked with other public, other newsletters like, uh, Wired or Quartz and CB Insights and some others, um, which was a really effective way of growing because they have users who like consuming content in a newsletter. We have users who like consuming content <laughs> in a newsletter, so we are non-competitive. So why don't we promote each other? And, uh, and that was a really effective way and, you know, no money changed hands. Um, and, and, and that was, that was pretty much it. Um, and, and, you know, we, we just did that and, and, and did that very consistently. Um, and then recently, like last year, we started also doing paid marketing because we had launched that, uh, premium subscription. And that was really interesting from a cash flow point of view, because, you know, the, the, the moment we spend money on, on, on an ad, and someone purchases a subscription, uh, we immediately recoup that investment, um, and so that's allowed us to, out of the own, out of our own cash flow, uh, to really uh, scale our, our our subscription business and thereby also our user base uh, through paid acquisition. And you mentioned this referral program. How how did you build that, or what did that consist of? Because I know Morning Morning Brew as well. Going back to kind of that, because I've had to talk to them, they had a very robust kind of program built out. How did you look at the ref- referral program for Finimize? 
Yeah, so I think um, when we started, we I think there was also around the time of like Robinhood and and Mailbox. If you I don't know if you remember Mailbox, kind of like in, I think invented the whole concept of like a wait list. Uh, and like you could refer friends to 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 get up the waitlist, and that was how I got inspired by it because I was like, oh, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so we we basically built a, a similar thing where you know originally actually we 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 had had a waitlist, um, and then so we already had like the the foundation there and then we just built that out uh you know there's a lot of uh successful referral programs like you know dropbox uh, uh and and all and yeah pretty much every major company has has a strong referral program the question always becomes uh what's the incentive that you're giving and in our case uh you know we we knew that people first of all we weren't able to give money because uh, a user wasn't on the newsletter a news a user wasn't giving us money so it was difficult for us to give you money and i think oftentimes like if you i'm sure you've experienced this yourself where like your friends would give you uh, an uber uh referral and then you would get like ten dollars or whatever it is or fifteen dollars i don't know yeah and that obviously it's pretty straightforward like everybody likes to get money uh we didn't have that luxury um and so we we, we, we started thinking about okay what is it that that our that our users would want and and they have shown us that they like our content so we created the the weekly review as we call it which is a, a saturday email um and that then uh was like the, the first perk and then people really liked our brand and, and and to this day like our brand and and so as a result we were able to do a lot of the the merchandising uh perks around that and then every once in a while we would also do like um special special rewards that you could win if like you were like for example you we might like say hey uh for the person who gets the most referrals in the next 24 hours or something like that we're going to give away uh, a brand new macbook or brand new iphone or something like that so many ways to go about that with with the referral program like you said though many companies have have done this because it makes sense if you can create flywheels within your business for growth uh in this type of capacity mm-hmm. if you do it well uh it really can pay off and have a lot of people join but at the core of it clearly is having a good enough product with Finimize that people want to especially refer as well and and it is, has, has stickiness within that you this is not your first mm-hmm. business uh you obviously said started another company before this is there anything you did differently or lessons you learned from that first business that you applied now to Finimize? Yeah. So, uh, I think I, uh, I, um, I, I had a couple of, of, of lessons. So, so number one, um, my previous business was, was an e-commerce business, uh, that grew very quickly and made very significant revenues, uh, very quickly. Um, but, that was like the very main focus of everything that, that we did. Um, and so it was a very mercenary business uh, and, and Finimize is a very mission-driven business. And what happened was we were very successful on all the commercial layers. Um, but a couple of years in, we realized, okay, so like what is actually our mission and like what is our culture uh, and we didn't really have any good answers to that. And, and I, th- I think you, you start to see that then in, in, in your hiring and, and uh, you, you perhaps lack that compass to guide you in making decisions. 
and at the same time you know i will i will also say you know i was i was very young i was like my early mid mid 20s so i definitely had didn't have that maturity yet to to understand like what's important in a business and uh, i think from from myself certainly i would say like i was very much focused on like uh you know the numbers and uh and and being quick and like working till really late at night and 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 every making sure that we all like work super hard and i think what that then ha- what 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 happens then is that that you get really sort of like a you can build a really strong solo business by yourself but by doing that you're not going to build a company like you need everybody to be on board and so we we invested a lot of time and effort in, into building a culture or, or like at least making our culture explicit and it was a very long process uh, and i think we did a decent job at it but it's very difficult to retroactively apply that to the company and really ingrain it in the company and so the complete contrast has been with Finimize. like literally before we made the first hire i wrote down the Finimize culture manifest and it's a public document you can go on finimize.com culture you can read about it uh, and I just wrote down, like, this is the kind of company that I want to build. Here are the things that matter to us. Um, and we, we, I define these uh, finimized mantras. Uh, we don't have any core values because I always find that a little bit uh, shallow uh, and, and difficult to really implement in your day-to-day routine. So we decided to go for mantras. Uh, and you can, again, read those on our website. Um, and really wrote that out. And, you know, we just recently did a survey among our team, like, you know, how, how are people feeling, especially with this COVID thing, et cetera. Um, just wanted to sort of check in into the state of state of the nation. And every single time we, we, we do this and, and, you know, when people join us as well, but the, the clear answer has been like, wow, like the culture at Finimize is the biggest asset that we have. And then as a result of that, we've been able to, attract like really really great talent uh you know sometimes people ask me like okay why do these people join finimize like it's it seems crazy um and i think that the answer is always like people fundamentally believe in the mission and the mission then is is what gets everybody on the board on board uh and people are attracted to this culture and so i think ultimately to answer to answer your question um really focusing on soft factors early on and and having built and developed an appreciation for these soft factors is one of the key takeaways um, that I learned from or that that I took away from my previous business and and applied uh, at Finimize. Today with also, you know, not being your first company, and you understanding more of, of, of this process as well, how do you recharge today, Max? Um, me personally, yep. I, uh, I probably don't recharge enough is, is the, is the honest answer. Uh, and I, and I always find that whenever I do, uh, I have such a fresh perspective on things. So I need to force myself more, but I think some of the things that, 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 that I really enjoy is, um, is going outside into nature, going for beautiful hikes in the Alps, um, going for for runs making sure that i have time that i make time to go to go on runs um and you know investing also into into social 
relationships, you know, friends and making sure that you see them. Um, I think those would be the things that, that I personally uh, find really valuable uh, in recharging my batteries. And on that note of kind of, you know, recharging, investing in yourself as well, how do you, or what, what I guess the question would be, like, what books do you, have you read that have been impactful for you or, or anything in particular that uh, on that kind of investing in yourself that's been useful? It's not necessarily about investing in yourself, but I just recently found my notes on this. I read this a couple of years ago. It was, uh, it's a book by, uh, I think he was, I forget which team, maybe the 49ers, uh, uh, Bill Walsh. Read it. He wrote a great book around like leadership. Um, and, and, and that was, that, that was a really, really good uh, book that I read, um, more about business, uh, than rather than about investing yourself. Um, but I like, I, in terms of specifically, uh, I guess recharging and investing into yourself, uh, I love reading about like slightly more spiritual, uh, books. Um, so stuff like, uh, the Alchemist, I think, is an amazing book. Yeah. I read the autobiography of uh, the Dalai Lama. Uh, I actually, uh, I saw him once um, at a when I was traveling through India. That was an amazing experience. After I read his book, <laughs> um, and what else? There's a there's a great book which I think has so many lessons, uh, and and is it's sometimes treated as a children's book, but I think it's one of the most powerful books out there. It's called The, the Little Prince by, uh, by a French author called Saint-Exupéry, where um, he just really sort of goes through life and, ex- and, and has so many valuable life lessons in terms of like how to, how to treat family, how to treat friends, how to, uh, how to go about love and relationships. Um, it's a very simple book. It's a very quick read, and I would definitely recommend everybody uh, to read through it. It's one of those things where you like, you finish reading it, you can, you can read it in a couple of hours or, and uh, you just feel like really refreshed by it. Um, and then I think one of the other things that I really appreciate is, which I'd never do enough of, but it definitely, I, I can see it helping me recharge is um, meditation and, and yoga. Uh, you know, at Finimize, we now have virtual uh, yoga and meditation classes and, um, and that's one of those things where like it's easy to not do it because you always feel like oh you know i i, I let's i actually have my my inbox is overflowing <laughs> but but then you do it and every time you do it you're like wow i feel so good after yeah. this. Uh, so um yeah well it's uh, it's interesting you know mentioning that and that is such some, something that's really difficult for for entrepreneurs but just really specifically anyone who's super ambitious and and kind of type A personality it's so hard to kind of take those those steps back in theory uh, but actually they're not like really necessarily steps back there's something that's essential but there's never enough time to finish everything we want to do in a day anyways. So once like for me personally, once I, I figured that out where it's like, wait, like I'll never finish everything I want. It's like, okay, I might as well mm-hmm. make time for the things that I think long-term will invest in my mental health, invest in my health overall. Uh, you see the importance of it then when you understand that you're not going to finish everything in a day and you want to be able around for a while to sustain this. It makes it a little bit easier, but uh, it can be so difficult to, to take those steps back and invest in ourselves. Yeah. Or like also, you know, a health, healthy diet, you know, that's the thing that, that I think you immediate, like the next day you, you already feel better. Yeah. Uh, you have an immediate effect. Uh, but it's so easy, you know, it's like so easy to then just be like, all right, I'll, today I'll just have a pizza. Because it's quick. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. And one thing too, and that is uh, Matteo Franceschetti of, of Eat Sleep. I don't know if you've heard of that company. Um, yeah. 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 I had him on the show recently and him talking about him moving from eight hours of sleep to nine hours of sleep. And that just goes so against people who are thinking, oh, I only need five or six hours. I'm going to grind this out. And like, no, like sleep is so important. I've adjusted mine as well uh, since that conversation, but even before then, really trying to make sure I mm. get enough. And that's been tremendously impactful from before. And that's a huge part. Yeah. Of I, I, that's, that's another book I read, uh, why we sleep. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have already heard about it, but that was also a really eye opening book. And it's like, you know, I think there's this whole stigma around people like bragging about how they don't sleep a lot. And I'm like, uh, I need my sleep. So, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm going to safeguard that. And I think that book just made me realize like, okay, I need to, I need to optimize. Like it's almost like a science or right? like, you need to, I need to really optimize my sleep. And whenever I do that, like, if, you know, even if you just drink like one glass of wine the night uh, at, at night, like you can feel the next morning that you're not <laughs> as like switched on. Yep. Uh, and, and all these things that they mentioned in the, in the book uh, and in the wider literature, I think is super powerful. Uh, and it's just one of those things that you have to be disciplined to to actually um, consistently do. I think a lot of stuff comes down to consistency. Yeah, the systems you have in place for that and scheduling that in first and then just understanding that, okay, the workout, the 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 workout, the sleep, everything that those big rocks have to go in first and then you fit everything else around that. When you have that more of that mentality, I think it's helpful. Uh otherwise mm-hmm. you just otherwise you immediately just take that out and be like, okay, well, I, I'll just move sleep. But no, once it's like that comes in first, it's a little bit easier. But Max, I I, I could talk to you for like hours and hours more, but we're out of time. Where could people go to learn more about Finimize and everything you're doing? Yeah, so uh you can you can find me uh, on on Twitter. So my my handle is Whole Earth Web, and you can find Finimize on all the social channels, and uh, you can download our app either on the Apple App Store or the Android Play Store, and you can sign up for our free newsletter on Finimize.com. Max, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.